because he's never going to write. Yeah, it. he's never. That's why I read the first bo- uh, book of Game of Thrones. I was like, this dude's going to definitely die before he finishes it. It's, I'm not going to try. <laughs> <laughs> like, I literally gave up. I thought he was going to die because he's going to. Welcome to Please Make This Movie, a podcast where we take a beloved movie, this week a TV series, and pitch a sequel, prequel, or spinoff. This week we're doing something a little bit different. We're talking about The Mandalorian and specifically going to get into some expectations uh, and and what we'd like to see in season three. I'm Zach. I'm Storm. And I'm Nick. So let's start um we kind of started our discussion a little bit before we started recording about the different directors of this season um and and i think that's something with this series that is pretty unique um that they bring in a different director more or less every episode of the season and kind of let them just do their own thing uh what did you guys think about the different people involved with this season i know we talked about them Already. Yeah. So on um, Disney Plus, they have like a making of the Mandalorian, at least for like the first season. And I didn't finish it, <laughs> but um, essentially, it's like John Favreau. Think of him at like the top of this this little little web, and he gathered this group of like ragtag, like kind of inexperienced directors um, who had something from like an area that they liked. And brought them together and just kind of like, I don't know, they kind of worked as a team to kind of make the whole thing um, and create his sort of like love child, I guess it is, uh, the Mandalorian. Um, Also, uh, it seems like one of the biggest influences, at least uh, going off of this documentary, was Dave Filoni, who is like a like uh, Star Wars Wikipedia and was like really probably possibly even more influential than John Favreau was into making this like the star Wars that we know uh, mm-hmm. and love, which is not the prequels or the most recent <laughs> star Wars, but the original three. I, yeah. I, uh, sorry. I think it's important. Uh, well, right off the bat to probably just say this whole thing is going to be spoiler heavy. There's no point in talking about it without um, directly referencing the plot of the episode. So we're assuming you've seen uh, season one and two, at least. Um, but uh, like the Dave Filoni thing, um, I, I haven't extensively seen the cartoons, uh, the Clone Wars, Rebels, um, Star Wars Resistance, but I know that they exist and there's a ton of material there. Yeah. And it's, it, from what I know, he kind of shepherded that entire process. He didn't direct every episode, but he oversaw the story. And at, if I am not mistaken, when it began, he was consulting with George Lucas uh, mm-hmm. to to kind of create where where all this was going to go, so it would make sense yeah. that his vision would be more in line with the original movies than the sequel trilogy, especially. Um, yeah, I've actually that... heard. Sorry. Oh, I've sorry. Actually, yeah, I've actually heard that uh, Dave Filoni and um, John Favreau are like the only two people um, that have been creating Star Wars kind of material that are still consulting George Lucas. Everybody else is just kind of like, well, I'm going to do my thing. Uh, and that's kind of why their lore is seen as like, so connected and, and really so um, kind of like 
monumental in the Star Wars universe where a lot of the other kind of pieces that have been coming out don't necessarily fall flat, but they don't carry the same weight. Uh, something that I, I find very interesting about The Mandalorian is even though there are all these directors, um, there is kind of like a cohesive... I wouldn't question it, I guess. If, if I saw the whole show and then you told me afterwards, like, oh, it's this big collaborative effort between all these people, um, I would be kind of shocked by that, I guess. And then uh, also, um, when the sequels were coming out, I don't remember at what point, but after one of the movies, when the reception started to teeter into the negative, and then it pretty much never came back, George Lucas gave an interview where he said he had a treatment for the sequel movies that he prepared and he took to Disney and he kind of thought when he was selling the property that he was selling his sequel ideas as well. Mm -hmm. And they basically politely told him like, we will not be using any of your idea. We just wanted the property and there's the door. Yeah. Which I mean, just going off of George Lucas's idea (laughs) as they are is probably a bad idea. Um, It's nice to have John Favreau and Dave Filoni as like a, a filter because <laughs> oh, i mean yeah, if you know anything about george lucas he's kind of wacky a little bit just a little bit a little, little bit off uh, has some crazy ideas i mean i mean if you want to know what george lucas is really like i think the the prequels are his love child if if the mandalorian is 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 john favreau the prequel aired straight out of george lucas's brain it's like yeah. a lot of cool lore but uh it doesn't make any dang sense as far as plot and story goes well and like um i i'm fairly familiar with the the not original six but the the first three and then the three main prequels Mm -hmm. um as far as like depth wise stuff and i remember um learning that george lucas started with four because like budget wise that's the one he could do um, <laughs> yeah. and because the, what he had in, envisioned for one, two and three was like not even possible to be made. So he jumped to four. I don't know how true that is, but I remember, um, that being something that came up in, in a lot of the like reading that I did about star Wars. Yeah. He, so he started, or he claims to have had, um, uh, 12, 12, a 12 episode arc. Um, but if you read some of the stuff that he he's I mean, for years, he's talked about all these ideas in very vague kind of broad stroke sort of ways. Um, I read a quote today where he mentioned the prequels in the 80s, like after um, Empire Strikes Back or Return of the Jedi. And he said something like, all right, after we do the third one, then we're going to go back 20 years. We're going to tell the story about Darth Vader. And he specifically says Alec Guinness's character. He doesn't even say Obi-Wan Kenobi, which I think is a little bit kind of shows a, a, a separated distant uh view of the story a little bit but then he goes on to say that by the third movie episode three luke skywalker would be about six years old and obviously that's not the direction they went so mm-hmm. uh i think he's had a lot of ideas i think that's what he is is like an idea generator that then is best served when he gives that to uh a group of more competent creative people yeah. to like distill down the best and still tell a story because being yeah, I guess kind of go having, through the list and say this is good this works let's maybe not yeah. do this one yeah and also have like the structural knowledge of of what um what elements need to be in a story for it to read to an audience i have a comic that's the original 
It's based on the original draft of Star Wars, unedited, uh, that mm-hmm. George Lucas wrote, and it is, it's pretty bonkers. Like uh, the the main thing that I always tell people about it that throws me off is there are two main characters um, named uh, Luke Skywalker and then Anakin Star Killer, and it that's that's <laughs> outrageous. Like that to me shows a fundamental misunderstanding of even naming characters so that an audience can register who is what like those names are it's way way too similar and obviously that eventually distilled into them being directly related um but that shows i guess the kind of stuff that's coming out of lucas's brain is a little more uh i don't know i don't know if he fancies himself like a J.R.R. tolkien or something but he's not well and that's um so star wars comes up all the time i i did teach a sci-fi class pretty much every year um and i talk about star wars as almost not really sci-fi but like science fantasy because it it seems like something that's science fiction, but there's no explanation for a ton of stuff. Yeah. It's just like that's like, and then they did try to do that with, with midichlorians in episode one and everybody oh, hated it. Yeah. Um, so like, that's a weird, like star Wars definitely sits in this weird genre that like, I don't know that other, um, other things really get into. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what the closest comparison would be, um, IP wise. I'm sure there's 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 probably a handful of anime out there, but uh, I don't know the influences that stand out to me the most that that kind of add to it is the you know like the Knights of the Round Table fantasy, then this like samurai angle with the Jedi. It's kind of a mix between that like Lone Knight and, and samurai, yeah, and then the yeah. Western angle, especially on like Tatooine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I always got the vibe, and I'm just going off of the the original three mostly because it, it it evolves or devolves depending on your opinion. Um, <laughs> uh, it's like a Western sci-fi. Like I mean, it's not necessarily a Western in the style of movies per se. I mean, like the storytelling maybe might be. I mean, I don't know. I, I maybe I don't know enough about uh, uh, Japanese films, but it, it, I don't know. Maybe it gives me that sort of vibe. Um, because I've seen like you know, Magnificent Seven or whatever. Not the Magnificent Seven. It's Seven Samurai, right? Yes, yes. That was Samurai. based off of that. Yes, that's I've I've seen both of those. Um. Anyway. Uh. Yeah. I don't. Know. I, I I just get like a Western sci-fi sort of sev- setting and tone. Like I don't know the everything. Like you know when you think of sci-fi, you think of futuristic. You think of sleek. Everything works well. You know. You know a lot of fancy innovations, but like. You know, people are still fighting with swords. Like you look at everyone's gear. It's and it, unless you're, you know, um, Darth Vader, or a stormtrooper. Like your shit's messed up and scuffed and dirty. Like the rebellion's all haggard. Uh, you know, even Boba Fett's got like kind of a haggard, like oh, you yeah. know, suit of armor. Like in which clearly shows in this movie, or not this movie, but uh, Mandalorian. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, the, the influences are kind of hard to track down. I- think the the vibe for the mandalorian is a lot more it, it almost comes across as more western um oh yeah because I agree. of the Definitely. settings like all of the towns that they seem to go to are so sparsely populated um and they're just like these desolate places where there's like it's a town but you see like maybe 20 people um and so they're these little these little settlements that oftentimes have no like they're all very um very flat in terms of like knowing anything about them yeah and i think that makes you 
like, I don't know, it kind of helps me. Like, it makes me think how, like, the universe is gigantic. Like, because yeah. there's so many planets, and when you just have this small, I don't know, when you just, like, represent, like, huge planet, and there's only a few different settlements, it's kind of inhabitable. I don't know, it, it just makes me imagine the universe as being this, like, scattered, empty wasteland with, like, pockets of life here and there, which is how it, you know... I mean, I don't know, realistically, as you can get, would be, like, there's not a lot of planets that could technically support life, and I know it's still Star Wars. That's a fantastic point, Nick, and I think it, so this is going to be a little bit of prequel bashing, but if if they just stuck to that aesthetic and that idea of, of you know, a scattered, lonely universe with these sparse um, settlements, it would make the dichotomy when they finally do show Coruscant, um, you know, a, a planet that is entirely one city, um, it would be, you know, it'd be nuts uh, that that massive difference of like, here's what the densely populated universe is like. And it I don't know, I think the Mandalorian, hopefully they make their way back there at some point, because in a lot of the old school Star Wars material that I think about from like the 90s, the the video games and the books and stuff, they would show like the lower levels of Coruscant as this almost like fifth element esque, um, mm-hmm. dirty, uh, scuzzy or Judge Dredd ask uh urban environment um no and yeah I, I don't know i think it plays well against uh those desolate settlements out on the outer rim that they go to i mean think of think of like our world today like we have like you know we're all living in illinois uh we have chicago major yep. hub i mean if you think of like politically like it kind of shows you how dense and different that is compared to everywhere else like there's just all these rural places with smaller towns and pockets of places and more empty land and you know there's there's hubs all across of you know the country in every state and it makes sense that the universe (laughs) in star wars would look the same um go go ahead oh this isn't so this is kind of again we're kind of drifting from the mandalorian talking about star wars as a whole but i think about in the difference between the movie attack of the clones when they go to moss eisley um or even the phantom menace and then in a new hope the, the very first one before they added in all this digital business to add more guys. But even when they go to the busiest city on Tatooine, there is not that much happening. It it still kind of mm-hmm. has this, the cantina is like a old West, uh, you know, way cut off from resources sort of place. And then when they go there and attack the clones, it's like a bustling city. Mm-hmm. Uh, like where's that, where did that giant crowd come from? in in the Phantom Menace at the pod race. Yeah. That in and of itself, like, is like, how are there this many people? Dude, I don't afford to watch that. Don't even think of that as Tatooine, to be honest with you. Like, those are like two different places. Mm -hmm. Getting back to the Mandalorian, though, I think it'd be cool if we all talked about. um, I think we're all at least of a similar opinion, where this is by far the best Star Wars uh, piece of media out there that I've seen in a very long time. Now, I know a lot of people talk up like the animations, which I haven't seen like Clone Wars, but I mean, directly related to Dave Filoni, but the Mandalorian is, you know, I mean, I enjoyed, I think the force awakens, but each movie of the most recent uh, trilogy have just gotten worse and worse. And that, I mean, I'm just going to briefly go over what I like and I'll pass it off to you guys. So like what really draws me to the Mandalorian is that it's episodic. Now I'm a huge fan of like sci-fi, uh, a lot of like cliche sci-fi shows. We got like Battlestar Galactica. We've got um, uh, more, m- more specifically Star Trek and then Stargate. And mm-hmm. 
Battlestar Galactica less so, but like Star Trek and Stargate are like just super episodic, one hour for like 45 minutes or however long, like individualized stories with their own like interconnecting plots. Like, you know, maybe the season will have, you know, some like long three, three episode um, connecting plot, but like they're very separated. I mean, like, I, I really like the idea that there's different directors for every episode. Cause like, and I'll, I don't know if it was intentional or it's just like kind of just some sort of non-connected artistic decision, but like, you know, Star Trek, Stargate, all these old school sci-fi shows would just bring in different directors. Like there's never, rarely is there like the same director on like a season, you know? And it, it, it brought me back to those kind of shows. And, but like, it was, I, I even better than anything like a Star Trek season, even like the best, like, you know, the next generation season, like it, all the episodes seemed like there was little, uh, little breadcrumbs of the story yet to come. So like, especially the first season, like you just meet these characters, these people, and it, it's kind of the same sort of way that the second season connects. Like you, it's kind of like an introduction of characters and character building for, you know, baby Yoda and, uh, our protagonist and he meets all these people and he, all of his allies that he built up through helping out through his journey, help him in this final climactic thing at the end of the season. And I don't know. I just, I just feel like it was well planned out. It's not like uh, the most recent three movies that seemed like uh, no one worked with anybody on any of the movies and no one knew what the hell they were doing. And it was nice. It had like the Western and, uh, uh, especially in the Mandalorian, the, the 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 Western movie themes, the 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 Japanese movie, like uh, the Lone Wolf and Cub references, which is one of my like favorite like manga slash you know graphic novels to read, where it's just about like this Ronin samurai and its little boy, you know Yoda's like the samurai son, and you know the Mandalorian's the uh, uh, the samurai, the Ronin. I don't know. I, it was it was it was nice and refreshing, and that's where I'll I'll stop and let you guys talk. <laughs> Right on. <laughs> um, to kind of go off of what you're saying, like the the way that the Mandalorian is mm-hmm. episodic, um, in a way, lets you get to know every one of the characters, and and all these side characters almost have like their own individual episode where you really like understand them. Um, like we had looks with the uh, other Mandalorians um, with Bo-Katan, like that character we had I th- like an episode or two to really get that story. Um, and, and it works the same way. We, we get that on the other side as well um, because of like who the villains are on specific episodes. Uh, and so we kind of see not only like the power structures and, and stuff, um, but we get a lot more of that character backstory. And so it just makes for a lot richer story overall. Yeah, uh, something that really stands out, um, and I think it would come from like this collaborative effort. It's not the same team every time. It's not the same director and the same four characters in every single episode. Is this idea to um, have complete arcs contained within each twenty to forty minute episode? So as opposed to like the movie, where two and a half hours in, you're like, I don't know what these characters want what their goals are where they are along their path to achieve those goals in each episode of the mandalorian i know exactly what the mandalorian is trying to do i know what the side character is trying to do and they all 
either get there or are moved along their path in some way. There are literal trackable arcs in every single episode. And that's the thing that's going to connect with the audience more than anything in a property like this, where shit is not explained. Like the fantasy angle of star Wars makes it so that, um, it is not like a sci-fi nerds dream, I guess, or like a, like a hardcore sci-fi nerds thing to, to chew on because the technical world doesn't matter. It's more about this, the fantasy angles. Um, so you need those things. You need clear cut goals for each character to achieve in order for anything to be relatable to the audience. And the show does it so well. That's why for me, it's of the Disney related star Wars things. It is by far uh, the most competent. Nice. And that, that kind of, I mean, a good example, my favorite episode of the second season was the first episode. I think it was the ninth with uh, the, you know, uh, hold on, I have this page up. What's it called? Timothy Olyphant, Olyphant, the Marshall. Marshall. Yeah, the crate. We have that crate dragon. Oh, that was so great. So good. We had the sand people in there. It was nice. It was slow. It took its time, and it wasn't. It wasn't a lot of nonsense. Um, You know, you learn immediately. You kind of get what the Marshall uh, or uh, Timothy's character is all about, and. I don't know, great Star Wars setting, just like super sandy, super dusty, super crusty. And then they <laughs> fight this like crate dragon, which is like, I, I mean, is that supposed to be the same thing that eats up the Millennium Falcon? I mean, that, that's what it reminded me of, or at least a very similar. Uh, no. Um, crate dragons, I don't know if, where they are from Star Wars lore, but I remember the video game Knights of the yes, Old Republic. That's where they're from. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah that being a thing um and actually at the end of that episode when they're like going through the crate dragon Mm -hmm. you see the um the tuscan raiders hold up this like big pearl and that is like one of the things that you do in that video game um which is from like 2003 or something yeah Uh, Yeah. it's crazy that that made it into like this show the pearl Um, is how you make your lightsaber I think. Yeah, game. you put it into a lightsaber and mm. it affects, I think, the color yeah. or possibly. Like, it's like the it's crystal. Like I, I've, I've played the yeah. second one halfway through, so I, I don't know, uh, which was very fun. I stopped because there's a horrible glitch in it that wouldn't let me move on. Um, but, oh, you know, no. that's what you get for playing a 20 year old <laughs> game on a modern Windows 10 computer. Anyway. Uh, so let's, I mean, you kind of talked about that episode let's go a little bit episode by episode uh and just kind of talk about this season um and like somewhat briefly so that episode obviously had that was a clear like standalone um it gave us the boba fett armor um and and kind of teased like is boba fett going to be in this season um to people who maybe hadn't done any research um and then we see at the end of that episode, Boba Fett. Uh, and, and so it sets up for this anticipation that we're building for pretty much the entire season. Um, the next episode is one that I am interested to talk about yeah. and get your guys' <laughs> opinion on. Uh, that is the one with the frog lady and the eggs um, that took the internet by storm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We did talk about it a little bit in one of our after shows. I think we did. Um, yeah. But it, it's a confusing one. And it's one, I, you know, I rewatched a lot of these episodes. Like I would watch them and then um, I would watch them again the next day or like later in the night or, or whatever. And I think that's the only one that I didn't rewatch. But when I think about it, 
that episode had some stuff that really stuck with me as much as you could say like it's filler to the main plot it at least was mm-hmm. uh dense with interesting things that add to the lore in a weird way a kind of an unexpected way like that musical cue when when uh baby yoda or uh, grogu is looking at the eggs through the glass for the first time and then it, it kind of they keep using this cue and it, it's this really whimsical magical thing and it's indicating that he is hungry and wants to eat these eggs which is morally you know that is not the right thing to be doing in the scenario oh man i i got like every time he was eating those eggs like i was expecting that to like come to like the climax like yeah oh my god like and then they just don't do anything with it and i i i i I like that. Like, I like that he just, it was just a joke and he was just eating these fetuses of this, like that were very valuable to this frog lady and they just didn't address it ever again. And it was just kind of like a funny joke. And I, like at first I was bothered by it, but like looking back on it, I kind of like, I'm like, yeah, that's nice. I, I, I think, like that they didn't, um, I think that some, uh, one could make the case that there are breadcrumbs dropped throughout the entire series of actions done by, uh, Grogu. Every time I want to, I want to just say Baby Yoda, but um, uh, he does a lot of stuff where it, you're supposed to think like, is this guy going to be evil? Is this guy going to be bad? And I think that's a, yeah. it's a joke, but at the same time, that is there where you're like, God damn, he's eating her eggs. Like this whole thing is about you know they need to they need to get those somewhere so they could be fertilized. Well, and then later in the season, wasn't there? He like force choked. Oh, somebody. He's, he's like throwing people all over a room. Yeah, which is like notoriously a dark side mm-hmm. force power. Um, so yeah, I, I think that was like kind of the beginning of um, the season. Was a lot about Grogu coming into his powers as a Jedi and kind of like finding himself. Um, I, I think in that regard. Yeah. Uh, and, and definitely the question of where is he going to land? Um, yeah, we're, we're skipping forward a couple episodes with that stuff, but, um, something that really, I, I mean, I'm interested to talk about this is that, uh, when they do start to, when they find out, you know, his background, that he's from the temple and whatnot, um, they say that he was trained. So like theoretically, unless he has repressed memories, this dude has active memories of what went down there. Um, and that, I don't know, that's significant. Like it, it would, it, it makes um, communication with him. It becomes a lot darker and more meaningful upon rewatch when it's like, Oh my God, you know, he really, he has all of these. Um, they saw, you can assume that he saw pretty much everyone he knew there horrifically murdered. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, yeah. and, and that's I mean, to repress that would could potentially it's good backstory for pushing someone into the dark side or making someone who you care about a villain. I don't know. It's very good. Yeah. Um, right. Plus, plus he was uh, like a, a lab experiment pretty much yeah. uh, for a really long time. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, that. yeah. We don't even know what went on for those. Like, I mean, it's been a long time since that era. This what uh, is set a couple years after Return of the Jedi. So there's like 23. Yeah, I, I believe it's 20, like, 20, like 30 yeah. years later. I think it's five years after um, Return of the Jedi. Yes, yeah. I yeah, I I like this episode sort of as like a, a world building sort of episode. No, obviously not a whole lot happens, um, but I I like I like the introduction of like the X wing fighters as like these sort of rebel cops, like kind yes, of going around yes. and like yeah, it's kind of like it's like an addition to. 
I don't know, the role that they played during this time frame, which is like, I don't know, it was interesting. It was interesting. And they, 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 they kind of like turn out to be like kind of dicks in the beginning, but yeah. like they come and like save the day at the end. So, well, and um, it almost has like that monster of the week, like classic sci fi mm-hmm. TV episode with the spider. I love the spiders creature things um, yeah. because that, that definitely plays like one of those old star trek episodes where it's like here's the here's the thing this week that they have to figure out um so let's move on and talk about the next one uh that's where they finally make it uh with the frog lady she reunites and that's where bo and the other mandalorians come into play yeah um what did you guys think of having more mandalorians brought into uh, kind of the fold this season. Well, the the twist that they they do with it right away, which um, if you are familiar with the show, the Clone Wars or the show Rebels, um, there are plenty of other Mandalorian characters already established within the Star Wars canon, and none of them wear their helmets. Uh, they are always mm-hmm. taken off their helmets. So for anybody who's seen that stuff, the first season of the Mandalorian, it was kind of like, what the hell's going on here with these guys? And they're the way, like the code, uh, their creed, um, it all felt like this is something new. This has got to be something separate. So to have that explained and put in the plot as this um, like faith testing element for the protagonist, um, I thought it was super clever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, the only thing I'll say is I, I loved those characters. I loved the planet they were introduced on um, with the Mon Calamari. Uh, I thought that was great. I love their behavior. They were super barbaric. They're crustaceans. Like they would be, you know, just tricksters and murderers uh, it makes sense um but i think that all those actors are unfortunately for me uh pretty subpar and that that was a consistency for me through the whole season is i like the characters i don't necessarily like the actors aside for from the Mandalorian. for like bo katan i know she's the voice actress from the show she's uh, also in battlestar galactica and she's like uh, pretty okay on that show as well she she feels just pretty okay and then those other two people felt like they didn't it was like whatever like they didn't really stand out yeah uh one of them is a professional wrestler and i'm pretty sure that it's like her acting debut well that's cool um and so like i think she was definitely brought in more uh for the like the the fighting aspect that's uh Uh, stunt casting i believe is what that's called yeah um and that's fine, <laughs> but um, uh, whenever no, she, she had, they had a good not... look, but whenever and she was she yeah. was cool in the fights, but whenever she talked, it was like, okay, wh- who is this? This is a Disney Plus show. Who is this person? Why aren't they? You know, why isn't this Pedro Pascal quality acting? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I like that they were in there. Um, I, I honestly just like that Bo-Katan was. I didn't know the reference towards the the cartoon, but. I was like oh. Battlestar Galactica. Oh, okay. Cool. Like, what's her name? Okay. Katie something or another? Yeah, uh, Katie Sackoff, I believe. Yeah, t- Katie Sackoff. And I don't know. That was just like I, I didn't know if that was. I, I initially was like, oh, that's just kind of like a nod to other sci-fi shows. Okay, that's cool. That's, that's, that was my first thought. Um, that is cool. Yeah, she plays a star, star, star. What's? Oh my gosh, I'm gonna find out what her name is. Stardust. I want to say Stardusk, but that's not it. That is totally not it. Um, I am going to find out immediately. <laughs> Hold on. Well, Give me one second. I'm going to fuck Katie Sackoff. Her name is Starbuck. Okay. Oh. Starbuck in okay. Battlestar Galactic. I called her Stardust. Oh, well. Anyway, 
Um, yeah, those few episodes. Uh, I mean, one of those episodes was like th- only like thirty minutes long, which yeah. I-, I thought was like that threw me off. I was like, is this what the whole season's going to be like? Like, like we're going to vary from like a half yeah. hour to an hour episodes. It was that one. That was the first one that was like 30, 31 minutes long or something like that. Um, I I honestly think that's a strong suit of the show because um, I had a similar thought when I first saw the length of that episode and was like, well, this is a short one. But I think that's like something I really like about the Mandalorian is they don't have, since it's on a streaming service, it doesn't have to fill a time slot. So they tell the story they need to tell and then it's done. Oh yeah. And if that means mm-hmm. they need to go long, fine. If that means they cut it short, fine. It, it makes it so it's a concise like story. It, it doesn't have to fill time. Yeah, yeah I, I didn't know. Sorry, I didn't know, like, at the time, like, what the filming schedule was. And, of course, like, in the second season, we were deep in the pandemic. So I thought they were, like, really trying to drag out episodes into seasons to kind of, like, I don't know. I just have, like, a skepticism about myself. But then, like, I don't know, the other episodes were all kind of reasonably length and didn't seem like they were rushed or, mm-hmm. rushed or cut short. Um. So. Well, one of the episodes, it's interesting that you say that, because for me, what it is, is I, I almost wish I couldn't see the episode length and that it was just a surprise, because when I see the episode length and that it's shorter, I make a judgment right then and there that's like, wow, what's going on? Why is this 30 minutes long? The last episode was 46. The episode before that was 57 or whatever. You know, am I getting ripped off? And then you watch it and you don't, it doesn't feel like that. You feel thrilled and like you got the full arc and you got the payoff and you learned a lot and you're intrigued to watch more. And then the, the episode, um, when Grogu gets kidnapped, where they first introduce Boba Fett and he's got dialogue where they're on that mm-hmm. planet. Um, Tython, I believe, uh, that episode is only like 30 minutes long. And I remember reading that there was only 11 pages of a script and the rest is action that Robert Rodriguez blocked yeah. out. Uh, and it, when you watch it, it feels like that. And it maybe you could say it feels short, but it's so much happens and it, it is thrilling and things happen and you are satisfied. And then again, you want more. Something happens that makes you want to keep watching. So you don't feel the length necessarily. You're just thrilled. Uh, and I think that is one of the negatives to it being on a streaming service where you can see the episode length before you've even started it. I think if you didn't, I, that'd be a very interesting thing to not know how long it is because that kind of is a cue to when they're going to wrap up the story. Yeah. Um, so ultimately, like when an episode is nearing the end, we know that this battle is going to either be a victory or they're going to get away. It's not going like, yeah. I, one thing I like, um, it was a thought I had earlier. I'm not sure what triggered it, but I, I, I like how, I don't know. It just seems so tight and smooth and everything seems to be planned out. Like all the questions I have are questions that I'm supposed to be asking. Not like, mm-hmm. what the hell? Why did that <laughs> happen? Why is there this stupid little key thing that lines up with that? And that's how we find the, the MacGuffin. And I don't know, just like so much stuff. It just seems, I think it's just like in contrast to what these most recent movies were. It's so satisfying and one thought that I had, not, not trying to derail too much, one thought I had was like, man, I bet like all those new Star Wars series that they're coming out with that they kind of like teased or, or, or released or, you know, uh, somehow came out to the public. Um, it's because 
that they lose so many subscribers when the Mandalorian seasons are finished <laughs> that they yeah. are like, we need to spread these out so people subscribe well, to this longer because I don't think anyone gives a shit about The Lion King. Yeah, you're definitely onto something there because when they first announced Disney Plus, it was not just that show that was announced. There was The Mandalorian. There are like, there are like a handful, three to five Marvel shows that were supposed mm-hmm. to already be out and there were movies that were supposed to already come out. Um, and they kind of just, I think they didn't have a production schedule aside from the Mandalorian. So it's the thing that was ready to go when the service came out. And then with COVID, um, everything gets moved. And what they're clearly setting up is that at all times between Marvel and star Wars for the next couple of years, uh, starting like this month, if I'm not mistaken, um, there will be either a superhero or a star Wars show premiering new episodes every week at all times yeah which is because... I mean, great for subscribers because otherwise you're exactly right like you could watch it and then like all right cancel i don't need to spend this money i'll wait till the next I season's mean, out i'm no longer a subscriber to disney plus because <laughs> the mandalorian's <laughs> over and i mean clearly they're trying to drag it out because i th- didn't they release the first or am, I, or am i wrong maybe i'm mixing something up did they release the first season every week or did yes, they just dump it, that it out? They did. No, it was, okay, it was weekly. I think maybe the first couple episodes were released in a bunch, maybe. I, uh, like maybe there was like three yeah. and then it was. That's a good idea. One. I could yeah. be wrong. That could be something that I know that's something that other streaming services do. Yeah. So I could just be guessing uh, at that. The boys did that um, for sure. And yeah. I thought it was to its benefit because it sets up, you know, the first episode maybe doesn't end with like the thrust of what the season's going to be about, but by the th- second or third episode, you're in it. Um, you're less likely mm-hmm. to jump out or not catch the next one or whatever. You're way more invested. Yeah. And I think Apple TV does a similar thing with their shows of dropping like two or three nice. and then it, it like hooks you. Yeah. So I don't know if that, that happened, but um, yeah, it, it definitely was every week. Um yeah, we're kind of jumping so, around here talking about the episodes. Yeah. I'm curious about... So there is one episode we, we kind of skipped entirely when they, they go back to um, the planet from the very first episode, uh, Navarro, with the guy from the first episode, the blue guy. Uh, that episode, to me, is the least memorable one of the season by far. I'm literally trying to remember what that was about. Didn't yeah, they go... Yeah. It was the Carl Weathers episode. Like- they, there was a there was a thingy that they drove out of the place from, and there was like a boom boom and some tie fires in the air. Yep, that's that is exactly right. The, yeah, I don't know. I they, just remember that or anything the else. Land, so the the like major plot points of that one are that he lands, and ultimately the people that repair his ship, one of them puts a tracker on that. Oh, ship. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and and then I feel like. Other stuff happens, but it doesn't it's not matter. super. It's more so. I feel like bringing uh, Carl Weathers and I. I don't remember either one of those characters. Uh, uh, Carl uh, Grief Carga is his name, but it, it's it's better to just refer yeah. to him as Carl Weathers. And um, the other, like the the woman from the first one, that's like the ex Republic soldier. Yes. Um, more kind of just bringing them back into the fold, showing that they're going to be a part of this season. Yeah. She's um, another one for me where I like that character a lot. And I like her physicality a lot. Cause she's just, she's huge. Like she's an imposing mm-hmm. presence, 
but her line delivery sometimes I'm like I don't know if this lady is good enough for what I want she, to show. Yeah, she is actually a former MMA fighter ah, okay, who yeah. I think is stunt casted as well. That makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, visit yeah. like I now. I mean, she's associated with the character, and I would not be surprised if there's a spinoff show called uh, Rangers of the New Republic that is obviously, in my opinion, going to be about these like the cops, the the New Republic mm-hmm. officers, and then her, uh, Cara Dune is the character's name, and then maybe like Cobb Vanth, Timothy Oliphant from the first episode, all these characters that are now involved with the Resistance, uh, or what will become the Resistance, um, doing their legal uh, thing, their cop drama shit outside. <laughs> was that at the beginning of that episode where she was like busting somebody? Mm. Uh, and there was like a weasel or like a ferret or something. Yeah, I yeah, I that I thought was a very interesting way to start that because it almost did seem like there's more to this story here that's interesting. Um, but it, it was like the the before credits, um, just like scene, and then it had no impact on the rest of the episode. Yeah, the stuff that I really like with her character um is the reference and i i didn't get this in the first season so much i should have but i didn't uh so she has a tattoo of the rebellion symbol um where like a teardrop would be um and it's they they call it like the rebellion tear and it's what people have to memorialize the planet alderaan which is blown up at the very beginning of star wars um and they do a lot of like poking and prodding at her for this. Uh, they, some of the characters she meets, mm-hmm. the new Republic officer, he's like, oh, did you lose anybody? Or it's like, if she's from the planet, she literally has lost everyone she ever knew. Uh, and he says it in a way where it's like goading, like he's like pushing her like, hey, remember what you lost. You join us. I don't know. It's good characterization. And then when the uh, the guy on the Imperial shuttle later on in the season, he's kind of pushing her in the same way and calling him terrorists and saying how... Um, they killed everyone he knew on the Death Star, uh, and these varying perspectives. I don't know. It adds a lot of depth to the series. You're talking about a uh, Bill Burr's character, not Bill Burr's character, uh, but I do want to get to that episode because I think that might be the aside from the first one. And then there's some stuff in the last episode that's you know like mind blowing or whatever. Uh, but that Bill Burr episode was actually yeah. the highlight of the whole season for me. I I mean I I one I like his character in there, and I'd like to talk about him and his uh, well let's just we'll move on we, yeah we, we should probably yeah, talk about uh ahsoka tano and that episode yeah um so i i think i talked to you guys about that actually like when it aired um that when i first watched that episode i saw her on screen and i had to like i knew i wasn't going to be able to fully invest in that entire episode ah. so i uh stopped and like waited and watched it later when I could like sit down, have it be quiet and what like, yeah. that episode for me, I think was not the biggest deal of the entire season, but I think it was um, from a like showing the connectivity of the universe um, in- involving that character um, was a-, a pretty big deal in my eyes. Yeah. For me, it, it kind of, there so much happened in that episode that hits what I love about star Wars, which is, um, expanding the lore in like a way that um makes you feel like you're a child being told this grand 
fantasy tale that just blows your fucking mind i guess uh and so when when uh ahsoka and grogu like start like talking to each other you know through the force or they're meditating at each other it, it for me that sort of stuff in star wars gives me butterflies as long as it's supported by the story where in the sequels like they force a lot of that shit and um it is not earned uh, and you're just they're like shoving like now feel feel the force stuff um so uh I don't know. I, I I just really, really, really appreciate the expansion of those elements in a tasteful way. Um, and the story at large is not about, you know, this Jedi stuff. So when you get this little teaser, 13, 14 episodes into the whole thing, um, it feels like they really took their time in getting there. Mm-hmm. And one last thing, sorry. So the previous episode being the Carl Weathers episode, the like least memorable one, for me it was like, I remember the in-between was like, all right, is the show losing its footing a little bit? And then you see that episode and it's kind of like, okay, they're going to sink the landing here. They immediately paid it off. Like there was a reason that less happened in that episode, um, the siege, so that they could set up the episode with Ahsoka. Mm -hmm. And on top of all that, like it sets up the next episode of getting uh, Grogu to um kind of that that planet for everything to the temple and it gives um the the protagonist the like weapon that is needed in the final battle that is like the only thing that can't be the 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 spear spear whatever yeah Yeah, that that spear yeah that the um dark lightsaber the the i can't think of the dark saber right now yeah the dark saber (laughs) can't um cut through yeah and i mean it shows you that oh wait this is a very strong metal that lightsabers can can actually go through that's so. that stuff is badass yeah. man i don't know yeah when he blocks her lightsabers when they first interact he blocks them with his gauntlets um i don't know that's like it kind of like takes your breath away for a second where you're like oh yeah they really set that up and now we're seeing it pay off in a way that impacts us like actually shows us the full extent to which this is a strong the strongest metal you've you've seen in the show or in the the world yeah it's like it's not just a nice shiny nice looking armor it's like oh it's the strongest Mm -hmm. and it gives like credence to a lot of the like just generic bad guys who are always interested in fighting this this powerful soldier to steal his armor because like it's not just it's armor. a big deal. It's, it's literally to be melted down and turned into whatever the strongest version. Of yeah, it. it's the it's, it, and I don't I mean, we're kind of we are definitely um, uh, singing this show's praises like crazy. But it's this constant setting up and paying off like mm-hmm. I mean, that just the armor. It's cool at the beginning. And but they, you know, they emphasize he's like in traded, you know, pieces of Beskar as his payment for doing these jobs for Werner Herzog. Um, and it's, you know, it's so serious. And then it continues to pay off, uh, you know, it ups the ante and how serious it is all the way in the second season near the end or halfway through with the lightsaber blocking stuff. I don't know. It, um, I really appreciate that they uh, thought ahead like that. Yeah, like, like goes yeah. back to what I said when you're asking questions. Maybe when you got that armor, you're like, "What's so good about this armor?" And you kind of put yep. it in the back of your head, and then it gets answered. And this episode, you're like, "Oh, that's nice. That makes yeah. you happy." <laughs> like, hell yeah, 
Well, and it seems like um, with Boba Fett's armor and just like the the way the culture is established, you you kind of answer that question for yourself of like, well, it's like his armor, so it's like got this personal thing, and then mm-hmm. you realize later, like, oh, it also has real value um, beyond just like it is uh, sentimental. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> kind of jumping forward a little bit to Boba Fett, um, it, do you guys think? Is it weird for you guys that that is the same armor that Jango Fett was decapitated in in uh, Attack of the Clones? Because it looks way, I mean, it looks way different. Uh, I guess it's the same pieces, but like I always kind of assumed that Boba Fett um, just had a different set of Mandalorian armor that he got when he came of age or what have you. Um, but I'm I'm curious to hear your guys' take on that or opinion. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't bother me too much. I mean, it's kind of weird because like, I don't know how, I mean, I guess there's a big thing in their culture of, of finding the armor, respecting it. Like, I mean, clearly Boba Fett goes a long way. I mean, he what goes like almost the entire season, apparently following the Mandalorian to find yeah. this, uh, uh, this suit of armor that belonged to his father. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it, it doesn't weird me out too much. Cause they, I mean, there's a lot of things that could easily explain why he would search it down, but it's like, I don't know. It, it wasn't necessary, but I guess it gives a character like Boba Fett something to care about when otherwise it would be kind of empty. It does give him that badass dialogue where he, he, you know, when he pulls it, that's the thing with that character is I felt like it was all, it was every single thing was just like, we have to prove that this dude is, is badass. Like the coolest character that you've ever seen in star Wars. Well, I feel like that that's where, um, John Favreau being such a fan uh-huh. of Star Wars comes into play because Boba Fett is, I, this is probably going to be controversial for some people, probably the most overrated character in Star Wars. Well, like people have <laughs> this love for Boba Fett and literally his, his like feature in the, the original movies is he flies and gets like hit by a blind Han Solo and then flies directly. Hold on. Hold on. So I do want to, I want to comment on that specifically because something that I think we can't properly appreciate because we were were too young to, we were not there when they were originally released is when Empire Strikes Back came out, Boba Fett is the guy that takes, he, he makes this deal with the Empire with Darth Vader to take Han Solo back to Jabba the Hutt because that's like the whole thing. Han Solo's arc in the first movie is that he's betraying Jabba the Hutt. They're looking for him and he runs off and joins the mm-hmm. rebellion. So when you end that movie, it's like, holy shit, who is Boba Fett? He's, he's this like stoic, silent, yeah. uh, like just, there is, there is an alert yeah. to yeah. him. But then in the payoff in return of the Jedi is you're exactly right that he's there in the background. And then Han Solo blindly accidentally, uh, seemingly kills him. Uh, accidentally, yeah. completely, yeah, just completely by accident. If, if you watch the the that docu series, the toys that made us, there's a whole mm. thing about the Star Wars stuff, and specifically, people lost their shit over the Boba Fett one, and I think yeah. that might have a, a lot to play with it because um, he, he had that missile that he could shoot out his back. That's true, um, but so the the toy. Uh, they did make the toy. Uh, Boba Fett is a weird history. Initially, there was so there was Star Wars, uh, what later became A New Hope. Um, but when that first came out, before they made Empire Strikes Back, they made the made-for-TV special, the Star Wars holiday special. 
which is a weird story. Uh, we talk about that later. It's it's George Lucas has tried to you know get it deleted from the universe, but you can still find it, and it's horrible. Um, but there it's are like Chewbacca's family. Yeah, right? they're trying to get back to Chewbacca's home yeah. planet for Life Day, which is Christmas. Um, but like I, Chewbacca's son is named Lumpy. Uh, and then like, I'm pretty sure his father's name is stinky. It's, it's fucking <laughs> ridiculous. Um, <laughs> I've, I've uh, watched like half of that. It's there horrible. are, you know, like little entertainment sequences throughout, like it's like an SNL or something, um, there. And one of them is a cartoon featuring Boba Fett and he's totally badass. He's like riding a dinosaur and he has dialogue and he seems like this really cool guy. So if you were a fan at the time, before Empire Strikes Back com- comes out, you're introduced to this cartoon through the holiday special with this dude. Then they start, you know, releasing the toy. And then he's in the movie as the guy who kidnaps Han Solo. He is, he was built up at the time is what I'm trying to get at. Uh, but now we can watch all those and just say like, yeah, he's built up, but then it's nothing. It doesn't matter in Return of the Jedi. And so I, I, it is a failure on their part to properly um, uh, pay off, you know, what they're setting up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it almost reminds. Have you guys ever seen the movie Fanboys? Yeah. Um, where they, I have not. Yeah. It. So it's these friends that like one of them's dying, and so his dying wish is to like go see, um, the Phantom Menace. Okay. At George Lucas's house before it comes out. Cool. <laughs> uh, and in that, in that episode, or in that episode, in that movie, um, Seth Rogen is in it as multiple characters, and one of his characters is like this, this thug who's like obsessed with star wars and he shows a um god what's jar jar binks okay full back tattoo oh no and he's like that guy's gonna be badass like you just wait (laughs) like that's how i feel like boba fett was there was all this hype of like oh man this is new character it's gonna be so cool yeah and then the payoff uh yeah i feel like maybe that was poking fun at that uh it kind of sucks so what no sorry i um I was going to shift back to what we were okay. talking about. So go I want to get this out because it, it sucks now a little bit because when we were younger, I was a huge Star Wars nerd as a kid. Um, and there was material that was released for my whole life uh, that was expanded universe books, video games, comics, uh, toys to an extent. And when Disney acquired the property Star Wars, they declared anything not in the movies, is now going to fall under what we call Star Wars Legends, and it is not official canon. We're going to rewrite what the expanded canon is. And in that old universe, the Legends, there were total, complete backstories for Boba Fett, for Jango Fett. Um, And before they even established that Boba Fett was a clone, there was a different backstory, and he had a different name. Uh, like Boba Fett wasn't even his real name. I remember reading a book where he was like a slave with Han Solo and Corellia and they were both in like a gladiatorial arena together. And that's how they met when they both had different names. Um, and so when you see this stuff, it's, it is interesting to have to kind of like mentally take out the established canon from before. And it's cool to see that what they're replacing it with now is, uh, I think just as good but it sucks because all the stuff in the sequel movies was so much worse. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a general Star Wars rant, but <laughs> I yeah, had, no had to get that out there. So let's, um, I, I feel like we kind of already touched on that episode, of, especially with it being so um, kind of action heavy. Uh, and that's where we're introduced to the Dark Troopers. Uh, oh, yeah. For the first time, which I think are really interesting. Um, and and kind of almost had that Boba Fett uh, <laughs> kind of vibe where, 
they're introduced and they're like these awesome things. And then by the end of the season, they're, they're blasted out of a door and you're like, well, that didn't last long. And then they come back and then they're just cut down like one by one. Yeah. But Um, I mean, but yeah, I, I, yeah. So, well, something that this show does, um, and it did it in the first season too, is, um, establishes how horrifying, um, robot warriors uh, or robot soldiers would be in reality in the prequel movies the antagonists for all three movies are robots they're droids yeah uh and but they're just cut down you know they're cut down and that while that does happen to the dark troopers they're showing them like just the noises associated with them moving the way they move the weight of them when they're marching uh the the sounds of them punching through the glass i don't know it, it holds so much more um it raises the stakes it holds more weight um, and it's a big payoff. And in the first season, there was the battle droids you see killing uh, Dinjar and his his homeworld, wherever he's actually from. Uh, and it was the first time we'd ever seen those sort of robots in a threatening way, as opposed to being like silly in the prequels. And I, I don't know, it, it it's almost like redeeming for how goddamn stupid the entirety of the mm-hmm. droid army is for all. Yeah, and they, they are. Yeah. Uh, but the Terminator is the big thing Roger. I think of when I think about oh god yeah we'll see if they said roger roger but were and they said it in that goofy way but were these you know lifeless um calculated killing machines i think that could be scary and could still be played for comedy sometimes but they just play it pretty much for yucks Mm -hmm. the entirety of the prequels yeah that could be a whole nother episode about just shitting on the prequels but <laughs> it's not like that hadn't been done before uh so yeah, yeah. i think but, um to so to to not necessarily speak up for the prequels or like the original star wars but i think the difference between the mandalorian and specifically the prequels and, and probably star wars in general is the audience that it's aimed at the mandalorian is clearly aimed at adult star wars fans where yes. I think for better or worse at the time, George Lucas aimed the prequels at a younger uh, audience hoping to sell toys like bring. Yeah, really just to, to sell merch um, or to to capture this younger audience. It worked on both accounts for me. Anyways, I recognize now and I, I think attack of the clones is the first movie I ever saw in theaters where I knew when I was seeing it as a kid that like, why am I bored? What the, you know, what's going on? Is this what a bad movie is like? But then you get to the end and there's a thousand Jedi fighting in this arena. Django fight gets his head cut off. There's a lightsaber battle and I don't care. Cause I'm a little kid and all of a sudden I'm buying 20 action figures and all the lightsabers and all this stuff. So it totally worked. Oh yeah. Uh, when I watched, but then you ref- you get disappointed when you reflect on it. Yeah. When I watched them as a kid, like I enjoyed them as a child watches a movie. Um, you know, you go back and it's like, Whoa. Charge our fucking banks, man. Like that's where yeah. that's where it all ends. Yeah. But go go back to this episode where they what what's that Bilber's uh, character's name? The Migs. Uh yeah, Mayfield. Migs Mayfield. Yeah, um the cool yeah, name. I like the name and I love his character and I, I like Bill Burr as an actor when he just pretty much plays himself. Well and yeah, it, yeah, it's Bill Burr being just Bill Burr yeah. in the Star Wars universe, what, what, which works. what's hilarious is like I've sporadically listened to his podcast over the years and he originally yeah. hates like just rants about how dumb star wars is yeah <laughs> he's not a, fan. He had a whole bit about it. yeah he's not a fan but like i mean i think he's just friends with john favreau and uh 
you know, maybe he's, I don't know. I don't know. He's, he, he doesn't, he probably, he says he's the kind of guy who says he hates something and probably like saw like the prequels well, or something. I don't know. He has kids. So it, it, there's probably an angle there where it's like, he, you know, he wants to be, he's, I don't seeing him in this episode. It's pretty crazy. Cause like, yeah, he had that bit. He made fun of Star Wars. He he makes fun of things like this in general. But then you watch it, and maybe not so much in the first season, but in this season, he acts his goddamn heart out in this yeah. episode. He does facial acting, nonverbal acting that is beyond any other performer in both seasons, in my opinion, in the scene where he shoots the officer. Uh, and it's Bill Burr. So it, I don't know. <laughs> it's I don't like know. He's a huge comedian. Mind. No, uh, yeah, no, he, I mean, I, from again, like just from listening to his podcast, I mean, he definitely takes it seriously. Like I think you know he made fun of it, and then someone's like, "Hey, do you want to be in this new show?" He's like, "Uh, yeah, of course." Because like, because like, what like, was his debut in Breaking Bad? Maybe I don't know if that was his first. He was good was, in that too. Yeah, it might have been. I was great. Yeah, he's a good serious actor. I um, I don't want to go on a Bill Burr rant, but I, I saw him in a, a Judd Apatow movie with Pete Davidson mm-hmm. this past year, and I thought he was great he was in that, too. That movie, to be honest. Yeah, it just it it catches me by surprise, and at this point, I shouldn't be surprised because every acting role I've seen him do, he has he has so much heart, like he's capable of projecting, um, or, or what's the right word, telegraphing, uh, so much emotion. And based on the way I've seen him perform, I have to assume he's like making himself go through it for real. Like that's what you want out of a out of an actor, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. It's awesome that that he's the guy who stands out so much in this season of the show. Yeah, and I mean that episode was also pretty intense, um, especially when good. they uh, finally like drive through. Uh, I don't know what they were carrying like explosive materials. Uh, Rhydonium mm-hmm. is what they call it. Gnarly. Yeah. And then, I mean, I think the big part is like, you know, when they get in there and I mean, he takes off his helmet because of that intensity yeah. with that Imperial yeah. officer. I was, I was going to ask this earlier. Um, he took off his helmet in season one, I believe, but I don't know that yeah. we, did we ever no. see Pedro? I think it was from the back oh, no. that we saw. No, and we do in the first season. He gets, uh, he almost dies. Uh, he gets, oh. he gets blown up and he smashes his head and but only the droid sees him because he's like, Hey man, oh. like I'll kill you if you take my helmet right. off. Like no living creature has ever seen my face, and the droid's like, "I'm not a living creature. Let me save you." And he, yeah, he makes like a joke, but he looks like way fucked up in that part. Okay. He's like sweaty, he's bloody, he's got like a hood over his head uh, yeah. when he wears the helmet, which I think they kind of retcon a little bit in his outfit in this season. Well, um, it's uh, also. I wonder oh, good. if I wondered if this was the first. I I thought that he had taken it off before, but I wasn't sure if it was shown before it's shown but not like him looking yeah. put together and it was him looking no so he's not doing it in front of other people where it would be like blasphemy no. for him it's that's a kind of i mean it's character development for tell, development for him because you know i mean he sees those other mandalorians yeah. and like all, without saying a single word about it he's kind of like all right maybe some other things are more important than these like strict beliefs i have maybe i can still follow some things but also like you know we're gonna die if i don't take this off (laughs) like yeah well part yeah some of his his because he doesn't have a lot of like um uh expository or even character revealing dialogue as a guy he's kind of an audience surrogate almost like he reminds me a lot of like master chief from from halo Mm -hmm. um as a character but through his actions thing things like him breaking his creed which he learns in this season that he comes from like 
they call them religious zealots. He's literally from a cult that is an mm-hmm. offshoot of the primary Mandalorian culture. So that's such a shock to him that then this like, you know, this caretaker role that he has for uh, baby Yoda or Grogu um, supersedes that. And that takes over his development, this like paternal nature. Uh, and they don't even have to say it. You just see they it. They never say it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah, that's great. Again, like I know, I mean, I feel like a more cynical me would like hate that cuteness of baby Yoda, but like they they get away with it. I think like they yeah, they, they pull it off real well, and typically I would hate it in any other sort of series or movie. But I am unable to avoid making this comparison because we just talked about this movie. But um, I think the biggest influence that I see in Baby Yoda is Gizmo from Oh Lawrence. yeah. Yeah, I, I, I he's better. That. He's a better puppet. Uh, it's the eyes, the all black eyes, really make mm-hmm. him. They they sell the adorable nature, innocence a little bit more than Gizmo's a little bit weird because he's got human eyes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, so let's go ahead and jump to the finale then. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, obviously, um, pretty big ending to the to the episode um i did really like the um the way everything got split up where um kind of boba fett has a job the uh the mandalorian the protagonist has his job and then everybody else is like we're going in to do this thing we're mostly a distraction um and and i like kind of how everything plays out yeah oh i i I thoroughly enjoyed the episode. It felt, you know, earned like similar to the first season where they set up all these characters along the way who then all come back together in a big team to achieve mutual goals. But in this season, I I thought it was even more well-developed in that the side characters who are involved have their own agendas Uh, and Boba Fett's. We don't even entirely know what's going on uh, with him. I assume that will be expanded upon more. He's just in servitude or he's made this debt. He has like a debt yeah. to the Mandalorian to yeah. help him save his son. But then Bo-Katan, she doesn't even give a shit about that. She's trying to get that that lightsaber. Yeah, and, and then the reveal at the end of she can't get it um, yeah. is just like crushing. Um, and I'm interested to see I'm interested to see if that gets paid off at all. Uh, I don't I don't think it's necessarily going to. Oh, I don't. I do not think that that those plot lines were introduced arbitrarily. I absolutely believe that the overarching plot of all of the shows we're about to see are going to be about the retaking of Mandalore and deciding who is the ruler. Because oh, really? technically, right now, Din Djarin is the rightful king of their planet, but he doesn't want anything to do with that. No. Uh, so I, I don't know, knowing the shows that they are kind of establishing and Mandalore uh, as a planet is a huge thing in the Clone Wars animated series. There's like entire seasons, uh, characters, different factions. The faction that raised him is like a descendant group from the main antagonist group on Mandalore. They're called Death Watch and John Favreau voices their leader, uh, who was the first wielder of the, the Darksaber. Um, so I, I 100% believe that's where they're going with it. Uh, and we'll we'll get to see these things pay off. I I will say, as cool as it is plot wise, you know this idea that you have to win the thing, the saber in combat. Um, I thought it was revealed a little bit quickly, um, and I again 
the Katie Sackhoff, the performance did not sell it as much as I wanted it to. Cause it was yeah. obviously it's awesome. You know, it's like game of Thrones shit. Uh, and John Carlo Esposito as Moff Gideon, he's selling it. Yeah, that's, he's that's he's so good. I was gonna say he sells it and like loses in a way that like oh you, so good. You question you you immediately know he lost on purpose for a reason. Yeah, uh, almost. Um, and yeah, yeah. His he has other some uh, aside from uh, Bill Burr. I think his nonverbal acting in that whole ending of the final episode is oh it's crazy when they say you know when someone the the lone x-wing arrives and i think it's bo katan who's like oh it's a jedi she's watching the the security camera then it just cuts to moff gideon reacting and he goes from you know like totally cool calm collected you know I, i'm in charge to absolute horror uh because he knows he knows who this guy is he knows like you know the legend of this guy who defeated the empire and it's the last person probably in the universe that he would want to show up in this moment. Uh, and it works. I don't know. It worked for me so well. That's probably my, the Luke Skywalker stuff is cool, but you know, his reaction to it really, really helped that build up. So what I, I have heard from some people that they did not like the abrupt kind of end and introduction of Luke Skywalker into mm. the series. How, how did you guys feel about that? I, I mean, I didn't notice the things that storm noticed cause I'm not that deep into star Wars stuff. I don't know. I feel like I just wasn't paying attention to it, but uh, I don't know. I I felt like I knew it was coming from the moment they were teasing it, like you know, and, yeah. and like it wasn't a surprise to me. And then seeing like the CGI Skywalker, like literally for a second, I was like, "That's is that Luke Skywalker. Like he's the same color lightsaber. He's got the hand." <laughs> it was like it kind of looks like Mark Hamill. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, that's him." And then it kind of that kind of took me out of it. Um, I didn't think. Yeah. I, I just think I didn't think it was necessary. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know what their plans are with Grogu and him. I mean, I guess that is the best Jedi to, you know, train Grogu, but uh, it seemed like a lot yeah. of fanfare that was like, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think it needed to be Luke Skywalker. <laughs> like, I think it, it could have just been some Jedi. We don't know anything about Mace Windu. That's the, okay. So Mace Windu is the problem, man. So like, there are, unfortunately, you can track based on Star Wars Rebels kind of exists in the timeline between uh, like intercut with the original trilogy. And then there's extended there's games that are in the current canon and there's the Clone Wars show. So fans can track what Jedi have not been murdered on screen and are still alive. So there was a lot of speculation about who the hell was going to show up in this episode. And Mace Windu was the biggest one I kept seeing. Mm -hmm. uh, it was people saying like it, we didn't see him die we didn't see him die he's going to be the guy that helped Grogu get out of the temple um, and then maybe he you know he went and hid similar to Yoda and Obi-Wan and he you know meditated for 25 years and became you know this peaceful <laughs> monk uh, as opposed to Mace Windu in the original movies is supposed to be the literal warlord Jedi he's Man. the representation of the of the um, what is wrong and broken with the Jedi Order it's very poorly communicated to the audience in those movies that that's what he's supposed to be, but he is the fate, the warrior face of the Jedi order. Uh, so it would show some character growth. Uh, so I'm, I was shocked that it wasn't him. Uh, 
but the Mark Hamill, Luke Skywalker angle for me is just a nod to all those expanded universe video games and books and stuff I read as a kid that were about Luke after Return of the Jedi having his academy because yeah that's what it was called was the the jedi academy um and his new students and whatnot um but we know now because of the last jedi that it ends in tragedy and so, i was gonna say let's let's move that into i i yeah. think kind of our expectation on season three um mm-hmm. i do we go to luke's academy and do we see ben kenobi or ben solo or ben solo yeah I hope not. I, um, I, yeah, I don't know if I want to see it or not, not even like yeah. the, just a hint of it. Um, yeah. I, I think I Grogu, know. maybe, maybe Luke brings Grogu back years later before. I really don't like the idea of him being there when they burn that temple down um, or that leaving it up to speculation in that way. Um, I have no doubt in my mind that the character of Grogu is set up to be a character in a distant prequel trilogy movie because they're you know they're going to make uh 10 11 and 12 someday um and depending on where they're set in the timeline older Grogu can fill that Yoda role no problem and he's got this massive backstory from the shows um and I know that they've told the story of Luke's Jedi Temple or Academy or whatever and and Ben Solo turning into Kylo Ren in a comic book and I I've you know I've looked it up online and uh it sounds pretty stupid <laughs> if I'm honest it, it does not sound like a com- that compelling of a tale um so wh- where do we think season three either is going to go or should go of this I don't I don't expect it to come out soon I don't know like I I, I... Hmm. It feels weird. I want to say Baby Yoda's not even going to be in it, but I think I I just from like a corporate Disney standpoint, I don't see that happening. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it would course. have to be like a time jump, if anything, in my opinion. But I, I mean, and again, I haven't done any research in these other shows and how they're going to connect to this and all that. But uh, I do. I just feel like. I don't know. As of now, it seems like you know they have to have some distance from each other, and at least in the first few episodes of the third season, Grogu's got to be I don't know absent. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I you know I I've, I haven't I didn't really plan too much. I know the whole point is to kind of see where you know where the third season's going to be, but like I kind of like not thinking about it because uh, so far if they've done really well. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. I I'm maybe a little bit too informed in that I I do engage with um like subreddits about um leaks and new material in like Star Wars and Marvel uh DC comics movies um like nerd movies I I really like knowing what the hell's going on or what's down the pipeline or what people think even might be so I think I have maybe a way informed opinion about where they're going with season three. So Zach, if you have any speculative ideas, I think I would love to hear those first. So I, I don't know. I think my ideas hinge greatly on Grogu's age. Um, because I don't, do we ever get a clear explanation of if he is like, what sort of like, mind frame he is in because they they refer to him in toys as like the child 
Um, yeah. But I don't think he is a child. I think he's just intentionally mute and um, repressed because he doesn't, whatever happened to him was traumatizing. And so uh, I don't, um, the problem with that is like, ultimately I I see him coming back as some sort of like big appearance in season three to like save the day. Um, uh, but I don't see him able to like pilot a ship or do anything on his own <laughs> because he's so small. So like, I don't think that works. So I, I honestly don't know where they're, where they're going to go. Yeah. I think, um, there definitely has to be some repercussions for everything, uh, that's, that's happened. The, the protagonist, the Mandalorian has obviously shown his face. And so I think that's going to come back in in, in yeah. some way. Um, and, and I feel like this season had an episode or two where it was kind of wrapping up loose ends from season one. And I think that's what the majority of season three might be doing because something big definitely just happened. And so there's definitely going to be people, uh, there's going to be fallout. There's going to be loose ends uh, with the, Republic or not the Republic, the um, maybe the first order. I don't know. Yeah. Coming after him. Like, I think the formation of the first order has to happen here yep. relatively soon. Um, and so I think that could be interesting to see played out in the series as well. Yeah. Um, I think you're right on the money there. Um, Zach, with the idea of the formation of the first order, there's some pretty specific stuff that they talk about in the first season the first season had literally had an episode release early to set up a force move so that it wouldn't come out of the absolute ether out of nowhere in revenge of, or I'm sorry, rise of Skywalker, which is the force heal. Um, Grogu is the first character to ever force heal someone in star Wars. And then Ray, it, when they released it, it was like, normally the episodes come out on Friday, but star Wars rise of Skywalker was coming out on Friday. So they early released the episode where baby Yoda heals Carl Weathers. So then when you see the movie, you don't go like, how the fuck can Ray force heal <laughs> Kylo Ren? That's insane. That doesn't make any sense. That's never happened. They intentionally did that. So I very much think they are thinking about the timeline as a whole. And something that happens in the rise of Skywalker is it's established that Snoke, the bad guy or who was supposed to be the bad guy, of the sequels is a literal clone. We see these weird clones um Pershing the doctor uh who who he's a Camino cloner uh referencing the prequels I think Moff Gideon works for Palpatine um okay. and that the whole thing is setting up like Palpatine did immediately reach out to these uh extremist factions that are these remnants of the empire to help him build uh his crazy imperial resistance on Exegol that happens in The Rise of Skywalker which I think is a terrible movie uh, and these are stupid moves, but they can be justified and expanded upon in a cool way. So uh, I think what we're going to find out is it exactly that, that these remnant forces of the Empire are going to become the First Order. Moff Gideon is kind of, you know, along the way. Um, there was that super creepy Imperial officer that is, he's the guy who killed Batman's parents at Batman Begins uh, in the episode with Bill Burr. You guys know what I'm talking about? The the officer who, who Bill Burr shoots? Uh, I think so. Uh, yeah, he's like he's extremely creepy. Um, it's the same actor who was, uh, I think, Joe Chill is the name of the the character in Batman. Um, but so what I know what they're doing is um, they announced there there's going to be a bunch of shows coming out next, starting uh, December of of 
this year, 2021, the first of which is the book of Boba Fett, which is about Boba Fett doing whatever he's doing on Tatooine, some gangster shit, probably cool. I don't know. Um, That teaser was very cool. Then it's season three of the Mandalorian. And then there's two new shows, one of which is called Ahsoka following Ahsoka Tano. uh, And then the other one is called Rangers of the New Republic. And they kind of announced that these four seasons would come out really kind of back to back. And then after that would be a um, combined crossover event season. And they teased a villain, Grand Admiral Thrawn, uh, who is heavily, heavily developed in the show Star Wars Rebels. Um, And he disappears at the end of that show, along with the main character, who is one of the last Jedi Uh, They both disappear into like the unknown regions of the universe. So I think what they're building towards is a live action retaking of the planet Mandalore, reintroduction of Thrawn, this other distant Jedi faction, um, and all of the characters kind of being involved in an Avengers style uh, battle on Mandalore. Hmm. I don't know how I feel about that. I mean, that's kind of what the Mandalorian has done of, of like, laid out the blueprint of we're going to meet all these people and then they're going to work together to do this thing. Um, And so they might just be taking that and blowing it up to a a bigger kind of aspect. I know we talked about earlier this week about how they did that on Netflix with the Marvel series. And it was just through either poor quality or just fatigue of having series after series after series. It did once i saw that all those shows were released i was like uh oh like they got a lot of fingers and a lot of pies you know what i'm saying like they're fucking like i don't know like i'm like uh john favreau can't be in charge of all those kenny like he's not no that's the thing that's weird is so for the shows i don't know what they're doing with boba fett or the mandalorian season three hopefully those are the same teams but they very specifically said uh, Rangers of the New Republic is John Favreau's show and Ahsoka is Dave Filoni's show. See, I think that actually might work out though if they can if they can give it to these different people and say, you're doing this one, do your thing, like do your treatment on it. You're doing this one, take it your way, like tell your story instead of having somebody at Disney being like, well, this is our overarching plan and this is how you're going to come in. Like basically let them make the series and then figure out how they're going to be written together instead of reverse engineering. We're going to have this big event. Here's how that season's going to go down. Now get them there. Well, that see that can even work as long as the same, uh, I guess the same mind, the same voice is down to develop every step. Mm-hmm. So that nothing nothing falls through the cracks. Where like with Marvel, there there is a producer, Kevin Feige, who's in charge of the overarching Marvel continuity and story. And I think that's the only reason it works is because there's a guy whose job is to steer the ship. Uh, and so with John Favreau and and Dave Filoni, I think to an extent, you do have these guys who yeah. understand that the responsibility. About, yeah, they're they're highly invested in the lore of star Wars at a bigger scale instead of just their particular piece that they're making. Did you guys know that, um, uh, the, uh, Benioff and, and, and Weiss, the guys who made game of Thrones were tapped. They were uh, contractually bound to make three star Wars movies. And then game of Thrones, because of the, you know, the 
big, big uh, backlash and negative criticism that came out of the last season, they were they parted ways with Disney. They were then immediately <laughs> let go. And now we've got what we're developing now with Star Wars. But what we would have had was those guys making new. Movies. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I actually heard that. And I, I think I heard it in the context of a joke of like they purposely made the last season of Game of Thrones bad because they didn't want to do Star Wars. Oh, like, see, a, a big theory was that they dropped the ball on Game of Thrones season eight because they were actively working on yeah. Star Wars. And so they they just they thought like, ah, we can fuck this up. We've got our next big thing going. And there were a yeah. lot of rumors about actors, too, that were like, oh, they're, you know, Game of Thrones actors are going to show up in the next Star Wars, which I do think a lot of them are the right type. Uh, but that's a different conversation. Yeah, that's a weird crossover that maybe shouldn't happen. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like uh, that's the that's the like model of a. Uh, we talked earlier about how there's like some people that don't really seem to fit specifically like some of the people that are more stunt cast and then even Bill Burr, like he makes himself fit, but Bill Burr is too recognizable almost as Bill Burr. Um, and I think that's something that star Wars, as far as like as a series casting wise does is they take these British actors who, even if they're known, they're not culturally known in America. Like we don't know, kit harrington as kit harrington we know him as Jon snow um so we don't actually yeah. like you know what i mean uh it's <laughs> it, so i i do want to say something uh directly going off of that um because kit harrington is now cast as a character in an upcoming marvel movie called uh the eternals as a character called black knight who very clearly he is cast as because of his association <laughs> with Jon Snow. Really? Like it, it literally is like a modern day superhero version of Jon Snow. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I, I hope these new uh, uh, Star Wars series aren't just a money grab, which I know they partially are. Well, Hopefully they learn. They partially are for sure. I mean, yeah, well, obviously that's the, the main goal for any company, but Hopefully they're a uh, intelligent investment and not just a quick money grab. Like I feel like the first three yeah. movies were because uh, like they knew everyone was going to go fucking see those. But um, I feel like, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I hope they actually <laughs> put a little bit of extra thought into it. Um, I don't see it going awry. I am glad that the Game of Thrones people aren't making it because while Game <laughs> of Thrones was uh, obviously very good for a a very long time yeah. Uh, yeah it like that ending and i mean i think the classic take is that it declined after the red wedding um yeah. uh, i i still say uh, i think a little bit later okay. a little, i think i think the fourth season is where I, I think the Prince Oberyn, which is a funny, a fun Mandalorian connection, oh, yeah. when Pedro Pascal dies in Game of Thrones, after <laughs> that God, is when it it just goes out. straight downhill. Yeah. Um. I so to defend them, um, and we'll kind of wrap up the episode here shortly. Okay. <laughs> but to defend them, um, I have heard the their defense of like when they signed on to do Game of Thrones, they were going off of written material. And then yes. it got to a point where they had to basically write their own fan fiction, which they had no intention. Like, uh, they did not they deviated. It, yeah, it, they deviated they from existing material. To, yeah, they never wanted I, to have like write their own story. They just wanted uh, to make um, what already existed. 
I don't know, man. It's hard for them to defend that at this point because they deviated in the middle of the last book that was written pretty hard. Uh, I, I have not read all those books, but I am familiar with the, some of the differences, and they went way the fuck off the rails could, with their own stuff, killing really. off characters that were important and e- totally omitting huge plot lines that clearly were going to pay off in the you end. You could argue that they were planning ahead for the later seasons where, like, we've got to yeah. steer off now at this last book. Yeah, um, yeah that's a good point. I mean... Because he's never going to write Yeah, it. he's never... That's why I read the first bo- uh, book of Game of Thrones. I was like, this dude's going to definitely die before he finishes it it's, i'm not gonna try <laughs> like i literally gave up i thought he was gonna die because he's going to uh covid probably got got him rest in peace jerry martin um oh my no, God. I don't know. uh let's see yeah no i mean I, I could talk about game of thrones forever i personally first season the best i well i love the first season mostly because of sean bean but Let's come at let's come at the after show with with the Game of Thrones thing. All right. <laughs> so we can wrap okay, up this Mandalorian. So yeah, if you want to hear us talk about Game of Thrones, watch the after show. Or listen listen to the after show. There's nothing to watch. Um so I, I guess continue making the Mandalorian. Yeah, keep it quality. Please continue making the Mandalorian. Please don't don't fuck it up. Don't get too cynical. Keep it tight and keep it right, John. Mm-hmm.